1: one of the biggest stories of the day is that Nissan is removing Carlos Ghosn as chairman after he was arrested in Tokyo for violations of financial impropriety Uh, and this of course has sent the uh, ADRs uh, down by more than 5% of Nissan. Joining us now to talk a little bit more about this is David Welch, Detroit Bureau Chief for Bloomberg News as well as our own Matthew Miller of Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio who is in New York in our 1130 studios. I want to get Matt, but David, let's start with you. Can you lay out what the most important details are uh, that have come out so far about the financial improprieties and what it means for Nissan going forward?
2: Sure. So what they've accused him of, uh, actually, there there hasn't been an official accusation by Japanese authorities, but what they're saying is basically he understated uh, how much income he was making by about $44 million. And then in, in a very I would say damning but also vague press conference, uh, Nissan uh, CEO Saikawa said that he has also misappropriated company resources. And from there, you have to think he was, you know, could, could this be overusing the company plane? Is it uh, uh, abusing expense accounts and, and drafting cash resources out of the company? I mean, it, it, it sort of could not encompass all of those things. And they were moving him immediately. Mitsubishi Motors, which is also part of the three-way alliance with these three-car companies, has done the same thing. And uh, when I was last looking at it, the Renault board uh, was reviewing the whole situation and figuring out what they're going to do. This is huge because Gona's is the guy who saved uh, Nissan back in the late 90s when Renault bought a big chunk of the company for $6 billion. Nissan was really kind of teetering on bankruptcy. And with $6 billion from Renault and Carlos Cohen's cost cutting and product plan and, and factory turnaround, they came roaring back. And he has run these three companies as a, an icon for almost two decades. And for it to end this way is uh, catastrophic for him. And it's going to bring about massive change for, the, for all three companies involved.
0: Matt Miller, I want to bring you into the conversation. You've met Carlos gone on a number of times. Tell us a little bit about him, his background, and what you take away from your personal meetings with him.
3: Well, I mean, it, it, David points out that he is an iconic figure. He is known as the rock star of auto CEOs and, and that title sometimes is used for other people. It has been for Alan Mulally in the past, it should have been for Sergio um, Marchionne as well, but Gone is the longest standing you know, rock in the auto industry as far as those three kind of biggest turnaround CEOs Go um, cut
0: his teeth in Australia, I believe.
3: Yeah, absolutely, and he's he's one of these, just like uh, Sergio was, these sort of multinational citizens as well. I mean, I think the 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 biggest problem right now um, of the three is Renault. You know, their shares fell the furthest in France, and he's still the CEO of Renault. Remember, he was kind of stepping back from the alliance. He gave up his title as CEO of Nissan. Uh, he was chairman of the alliance, but was making uh, making arrangements to make it permanent. So a lot of investors um, were expecting, I think it's fair to say that all investors were expecting this was headed towards a merger, if not an official um, tie-up, at least something more official than it is now. And that's what's up in the air. I think that's the biggest concern for shareholders right now. Although it's important to mention, as David said, Japanese prosecutors haven't um filed official charges yet And he's not considered guilty, although he has been arrested. He has gone with the prosecutors. It's not clear where he is right now, but he is, let's say, being detained.
1: Yeah, he also was removed as chairman. So there is not changing that. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining us. Matthew Miller, wonderful to see you in person. Happy
3: Thanksgiving. That's what I'm home for.
1: Bloomberg Television and Radio uh, host as well. Also, our thanks to David Welch, Detroit Bureau Chief. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Well, you know, Lisa, just earlier we got to listen to Ray Dalio of Bridgewater give his thoughts about the business cycle, about the money management business. He was speaking with Barry Ritholtz of Bloomberg Opinion. But on the cover of Bloomberg Markets magazine, I dare say, is an interview that is of equal weight. And this is an interview with Abby Johnson of Fidelity. And it also includes Kathleen Murphy, who leads their personal investing unit. One of the quotes out of the story is that we're in the midst of, quote, a $22 trillion shift in assets to women. And I thought that was fascinating, and here to tell us more about it and how the company is reacting and dealing with this change is Peggy Collins, our expert when it comes to all things investing, our investing team leader for Bloomberg News. And you can follow Peggy at MKMCollins on Twitter, and she joins us here in the Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studio. Peggy, a pleasure to have you. Tell us about this interview and particularly about this shift in assets to women, and it coincides also with Fidelity's effort to make sure that a lot of their new hires, particularly at their branch level, are women.
4: That's right, Pim. So essentially, Abby Johnson is the top woman in fund management in the US. She runs Fidelity, she's the third generation of the Johnson family to run it. And she looked ahead with Kathleen Murphy, who runs personal investing at Fidelity, a giant business unit for them. And basically what they're seeing is this transfer of money into women's hands for one of the first times in our history for several reasons. One of them being the fact that women are just living longer than men. So a lot of women are finding themselves in a position in their life where maybe they didn't run the money earlier in their lives, but they are getting transferred assets later in their life. You're also seeing more women um, stay married, not get married. You're also seeing more women get divorced and have to deal with assets at some point in their life as well. So they're just really seeing, the whole demographics of who's investing and controlling the pocketbook change?
1: So I have to think that this is a person who has been at the forefront of the move to index funds and to cheaper funds. And when you talk about expertise, I just wonder, how did she sort of reconcile the tension right now between active and passive management, especially given their zero-fee funds that they just recently launched?
4: It's such a great point, Lisa, because Fidelity, um, under her grandfather and father's uh, leadership, was essentially known for its stock pickers, active management. You had people like Peter Lynch, one of the most famous investors of all time, who really drew a lot of Investors to Fidelity, but what Abby's overseeing the company at a time where millions and billions of dollars are going into passive, low fee index funds. So she really talked about how they've been somewhat late to the in- index investing game, she admitted that, but she also says she feels like the company is caught up. One of the things that they did, as you said this summer, was decide, you know what, we're going to be the first to offer a free index fund, two actually they came out with in August. They now have four. And Abby Johnson was saying, you know what, she's not really a fan so much anymore of traditional advertising. She thinks in order to get more people to give Fidelity a chance, they have to do things that are even more surprising and splashy. And essentially, they did surprise a lot of their competitors when they came out, with. And they were the ones, given that they're known for active management, to come out with the first free index fund.
0: One of the other areas that she spoke about, uh, also Kathleen Murphy speaking about, is robo-advisors.
4: That's right. Fidelity has a robo-advisor called Fidelity Go, and we've seen a lot of the asset managers incorporate robots into their investing process, particularly for people who are of middle wealth. You know, the billionaires are still getting the high for touch. For their
0: wealth is not excessive, and they can't make great fees out of those clients, so this might be the way to get them to... That's have their right. money managed at Fidelity.
4: Right, and get it managed earlier. So back in the day, you would wait until you had maybe tens of thousands of dollars to go to some a wealth advisor. But Fidelity is now saying, look, we can offer you a six multiple choice questionnaire that you can fill out all online and then we can help you get invested. One of the interesting things they also said was they're designing products and user user interfaces now for millennials and then they calibrate it up to, to older people. So that's who they have in mind nowadays when they're thinking about How do we put this product out there?
1: It's really interesting. You know, you were talking about how uh, traditional advertising won't necessarily be the way to attract investors. It also may not be the way to make money. And I just have to wonder, I mean, again, when you start talking about, oh, it's a good gimmick to get people to, to like Fidelity. Yeah,
4: but they're making nothing on these funds. So how do they plan to make money? Well, they essentially are saying, you know what, we need to get, get people in the door. And once we get them in the door, we can offer them a lot of different things. Fidelity was talking about its brokerage platform, for example, in terms of more trading as you get older and potentially have more money. Maybe you're not only using the robo-advisor. Maybe you're not only using Fidelity through your 401k plan but maybe you're going to open up a brokerage account maybe you're going to offer as you get older a managed you're going to be offered a managed account offering where for people with more money they may have more high touch a wealth advisor involved so they essentially see it as a way to get people in the door and then offer them different things
0: well, it also is a way to beef up the asset management business, which is the most profitable division of Fidelity.
4: That's right. I did ask Abby about whether or not she thought the asset management industry, the mass, asset management part of the, the business would still be the most profitable five years from now. And she said, you know what, a lot of it is dependent on the markets, but it still is their most profitable business line. You know, they have workplace benefits, like I mentioned, 401ks, they have the brokerage unit, they have a number of different business lines at Fidelity, but stock picking, mutual funds those are still the big engine for them
1: Peggy uh, Abby Johnson is not known for being a publicity hound in any way shape or form this was a rare interview do you get the sense just lastly uh, here that she's changing her approach here
4: it was interesting she acknowledged that she has been speaking out more. The company had issues with a se- sexual harassment claim last year and she was out in front very quickly after that talking about zero tolerance in the workplace. She did acknowledge that it, it doesn't seem like it's her the thing she wants to do first. She's not a total fan of being out there and public speaking in part because it takes up a lot of time and travel, but she did acknowledge that investors want to see their leaders out there and talking more. She did also acknowledge that she She's not one to make calls on the market. You know, we see a lot of leaders of investing firms who actually do that a lot. And she said, I'm a leader of this company that has to do well, whether the markets are doing well or not. And so she feels like making calls on the market is not something that she wants to do. Peggy Collins, thank you so much. And
1: great story. Thank you for being with us.
0: The topic now are global rates and a foreign exchange strategy. And here to help us understand what's going on in the world is Anne Mathias, global rates FX strategist for Vanguard. Anne Mathias, can you tell us whether you believe there is any fallout from the APEC summit, or should we say the uh, APEC pick-a-peppers summit, where they could not actually put together a common communique between the United States and a variety of Asian countries, what does this mean for global currencies?
5: Well, I, I to, to keep going with your analogy, I think they picked a peck of pickled peppers, but they didn't know how many pickled peppers they picked. Oh my well goodness! Well done, it's Anne really impressive. I love it. You get ten points. Uh, good, good. Um, you know, as an interest rate strategist here at Vanguard, that is trade is the top. Um, topic for our teams and for um, you know all of the people that we talk to uh, in the markets right now that U.S. Treasury gets pushed around by a lot of different factors at different times, but I would say just for the last few weeks, for both equities and fixed income, the number one mover has been uh, talk on trade. And it's just too early to say, you know, trade is one of those um, topics that takes forever. Uh, for those of us who are old enough to remember NAFTA, that seemed like it took absolutely forever to uh, move from a concept to an actual trade agreement. So yeah. any new trade deals, just take forever. So it's hard not to react to headlines, but people should try to keep the big picture in view.
1: Well, but and I wanted to say our markets are responding to the headlines that we got because they were pretty negative. I mean, Mike Pence came out with a pretty harsh tone and markets are, yeah, they're risk off a little bit, but you're not really seeing a major move today.
5: You're right. Uh, you are absolutely right. It's quite interesting. It seems like just just today, um, and maybe even just in the last couple of maybe week or so, you've seen more equity market reaction to the trade talk, um, and a little bit less fixed income market, a little less treasury reaction. Um, treasuries may be taking it a little bit more in stride. Maybe maybe those of us in that part of the market have a little bit longer term perspective. Uh, it's definitely rocking the equity markets, and, and interestingly, rocking um, the growth components of those markets
0: then does that mean that there's an opportunity here or should you stay away until the dust clears?
5: You know, it's we're, we're in that point of the economic cycle where we're close to, uh, sort of close to the end, or, you know, are we at the beginning of the end or at the end of the beginning? Um, but I think that we are getting to sort of a late stage in the economic cycle. You know, we can almost see over the hump with the Fed to see when they will... Probably finish hiking rates, uh, which our economics team here at Vanguard thinks is probably middle of next year, the second half of next year. So you're seeing a bit more diffusion in terms of what people think is going to happen. I think that there are some growth undercurrents that are, um, you know, starting to be a little bit more concerning. And if you have growthy parts of the market uh, not doing well with trade concerns. It may not be the perfect time to buy the dip. Right. Uh, it's you know probably better to be a little bit more circumspect.
1: And I want to pick up on what you were saying, which is you expect the Fed to stop raising rates somewhere around the middle of next year. Recently, we've seen a lot of traders sort of ratcheting back their expectations for just how much the Fed will hike rates. Do you think that they are sort of uh, late to the game? This has sort of been the, the, the play all along, or do you think that something materially has changed that will now slow the Fed down more than uh, than than we previously thought?
5: I think they're a little bit late to the game. Um, And I think there probably has been a little bit of an overreaction too far. The other direction, Uh, you know, underpricing the amount that the Fed will raise rates uh, over the next year, you know, we see near certainty of a hike in December, and then two and probably perhaps three hikes next year. Um, And, not enough has changed in the fundamental economic picture to throw us off that track. I think the market has moved up, swung a little bit too far toward a dovish tilt, uh, and we could see probably a bit of a flattening of the yield curve as the shorter uh, dated uh, treasury um, sector starts to kind of get. A little bit more realistic about what what's likely to happen next year we haven't seen enough deterioration in economic data to really I think throw the Fed that far off
0: well uh, and Matthias let's be us us uh, sort of uh, conclude a little bit where we began having to do with that APEC meeting and the disagreement over trade between the United States and China do you believe the Chinese government will work to reflate their economy and do you believe that they will also try to lower the value of their currency
5: you know I think the the currency piece is something that just tends to happen when you have a lot of tariff activity because the the, the exported items just have to be repriced to remain competitive. Uh, but I do think that there was a bit of probably a bit of positioning going on right now because you have the upcoming meeting between the president uh, and and she of China coming up. And I think it's you know it's too early to say that that was a you know a truly meaningful change in the trade dialogue or positioning for the for the real negotiation between. Between the two principles.
1: Ann Mathias, thank you so much for being with us. Ann Matthias is a global rates and FX strategist for Vanguard. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg PL Podcast.
0: You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Pim Fox. I'm on Twitter at Pim Fox.
1: I'm on Twitter at Lisa Abramowitz One. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.